we are so glad to have you here. And uh, our culture at Exalt Church is this culture. We believe that the church should be different races and different colors and different ages. We don't believe that everyone should be in skinny jeans. And we don't believe that everyone should have gray hair. We don't believe everyone should be black or everyone should be white. We don't believe that everyone should be rich or everyone should be poor. We believe that God has called his body to come together from every walk of life. And what reunites us? Jesus Christ. Amen. He is who that unites us. One of my pastor friends asked me, said, Roger, are you going to have a cookout on a Sunday? I said, yes, we are. And I said, you know what? It's the gathering of the believers in the community. And he said, what are you going to do about the offering? And I said, I haven't even thought about it. I'm not worried about it. And you guys shouldn't be either, all right? This is about his community. It's not about a dollar. Can you say yes to that? Yes. Amen. You say, did a preacher just say that? Yes, he did. Amen. We'll be fine. Why? Because this is God's church, and we know you're generous people. Come enjoy the day, all right? Someone say yes to that. All right, Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. We want to continue our series on how to make godly decisions. And the Bible says, For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And you can take out your outline and follow along with me. I like the way my favorite translation, the ESV, says it. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God, children of God. In other words, he says, those whom God lead, those whom are led by God, these have the characteristics of their father. So it says here, basically, they have the attitude, they have the disposition. When you look at them and you see their characteristics, you say, that's a Christian. You see them being led by the Spirit, and you said, they act like the Father. They act like the Lord. Why? Because they are His children. And so if you're being led by the Spirit, if you're being led by God, you are demonstrating the very characteristics of who He is. It doesn't mean you're just born His child. It means when they look at you, they say, wow, he acts like my father. When I get mad and I suck on my tongue, my wife will say, okay, Jack, you're acting like your dad. Calls me by my father's name, Jack. And when she does something like her mom, Jenny, I will say, okay, mini Jenny. You know, you act like mini Jenny. And so when you are led by the Spirit of God and you make decisions according to the leading of the Spirit, People look at you, and they see the Father's characteristics in your life. I want to pause here and say just a moment. Do you know that the Father loves you? Do you know that the Father is concerned about the details of your life? That he's concerned about decisions and choices that you have to make? Do you know that he knows every freckle on your body? He knows every gray hair or the lack of hair on your head? Do you know that he knows everything about who you are and where you are? And he's concerned about the very details of your life? The Bible says a sparrow does not fall, that God doesn't notice the sparrow falling. He says he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't even 
doesn't fail to notice every hair that falls from your head. And so over the last few weeks, we've been talking about making decisions and making godly decisions. And when we make godly decisions, they are ultimately good decisions. Now, sometimes when you make a decision in this time frame of our life, it may not look like the best decision. It may not feel right. It may not feel good. But ultimately, a godly decision will come about for the ultimate good of your life. And so he, he wants to be involved when you're considering changing jobs. He wants to be involved when you're thinking about what school to go to, what woman to date, what guy to date, who to marry, who not to marry. To take the promotion, not take the promotion. He wants to be involved in those details. And so for the first two weeks, we talked about the obstacles to hearing God. Things like pride or not being a, a Christ follower or having a seared heart. Talk about those obstacles. And then we got into, for a few weeks, talking about the guiding principles. The principle of, of the inner conviction of the Holy Spirit, that we believe that God does give us impressions, that God does still speak today, and he says yes, and he says yes, and he says no, and he says go, and he says slow, and he says woe sometimes. We talked about that inner conviction. We also talked about that it's not enough to just go by the voices in our head because sometimes our conscience may lead us somewhere that God isn't leading us. If our conscience isn't tuned to the Holy Spirit, sometimes our conscience and the voice we hear can lead us wrong. There are satanic voices and there are emotional voices and there are fleshy voices. And so whenever we hear a voice giving us direction, we go to the scripture. We want the Bible to give us scriptural confirmation. And if the Bible contradicts it and says no, then we know that what we said must bow, what we've heard must now bow the knee to the scripture. And there's times in your life that the scripture will veto what you think you should do. There's times the scripture pulls rank and says, no, you think you ought to move in with that guy and live with him before marriage. And the scripture says, no, you shouldn't. And so the scripture vetoes it. And then there's godly counsel. Now, this isn't where you grab someone just because they have a Jesus bumper sticker on the back of their Toyota, and you say, wow, that guy has a Jesus fish. Let me get advice from him. No, godly counsel is where you seek out people who are Christ followers, and they're grounded in their faith, and they are mature in their faith, and they love you enough to tell you sometimes what you don't want to hear. They look at you and say, I love you but you are wrong. And they love you enough also to rejoice with you when something great happens. They say, this is awesome. And they're ones that mourn with you when you mourn. But these are father figures and mother figures that come into your life and they say, I've been down this path before. I've experienced this. I have walked it. Let me help you. And godly counsel all those people who can help you with areas of financial decisions. You don't want to go to a broke person and ask about your finances. You want to get a godly person that knows how to handle money to help you with that. You probably don't want to go to someone that's been married 14 times ask them to have a successful marriage. Now, they may teach you what not to do. Yes, there's still some value there. But you want to find someone that has a successful marriage to help you. All right? 
And then last week, we got into the very subjective area of circumstantial evidence that, yes, God speaks through his voice. He speaks to the scripture. He speaks to others around us, but he also speaks through circumstances. And when I talked about that last week, I, I said to you guys, I, I, my goal of last week is to simply slow you down with circumstances. To not see a circumstance and really say, oh, that's God, or no, that's the devil, or no, that's good, so an open door means God opened it. Not always. And a closed door doesn't always mean God closed it. Sometimes a door is closed and we got to keep on knocking on that door. When Pharaoh told Moses, no, I'm not going to let the people go, Moses kept on knocking. And just because a door opens doesn't mean it's the door you walk in. There's been times in my life a door has walked in, and I've walked to that open door, and I have fallen down a ravine. So not every open door is God, and not every closed door is not God. But we take time, we have the circumstances, and we don't make a decision based on the circumstance alone. But we look at what is the Holy Spirit saying. What does the scripture say? What is godly counsel saying? And what are these circumstances also speaking? And we bring them together, and it's like on a dashboard of an airplane where you have all of these instruments, and you take them all into consideration as you make these decisions. Is that clear? So today I want to talk about another instrument. It's called God's peace, or the peace of God. You know when you're driving your car and that red light comes on, something's messed up. Now, all of my cars have had a yellow light on them for about a year, and I don't get worried about that yellow light. But when Laura calls me and says, babe, my car has a red light, what do you say? Pull over right now. Did you check the oil? Was I supposed to do that? Yes, you were. Well, you're my husband. You were supposed to do it. Yes, I was. All right, but I'm going to blame you. You're going to blame me, and then we'll blame the devil. All right, so let's go on. But when that red light comes on, it says, stop, wait. And so if you are getting to go somewhere and you get this strong apprehension, don't. My advice is to don't. To stop. To pause to breathe and find out why the red light is on. I want to give you three quick benefits to the peace of God. First of all, the peace of God guides us. The peace of God guides us. Sometimes in life, when we are seeking a yes or no answer, there isn't a scripture that gives us a parameter or yes or no. And not everything is a yes or no. But here's what happens. When you have that overwhelming feeling of apprehension, pause. I can't tell you how many times in my life that a door opened to go pastor. It was a good door. It was a good thing. It was a wonderful thing in a wonderful place. But I had this apprehension, don't do it. I had one job offered to me for the county one time years ago, and it was a great, sweet gig, and I wanted to take the job, and yet this overwhelming sense of apprehension came, and I knew it wasn't what we were supposed to be doing. So the peace of God can guide you towards something, or it can also guide you away from something. 
If that red light comes on, stop. Number two, the peace of God governs us. It's like an umpire. Look in your notes. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now you car guys know what this is. This is a governor on your car. It slows you down. It doesn't let you go too fast. One of the things when I have moved across country, we always rent these huge uh, you know, budget trucks or Penske trucks, or let me advertise you haul to throw them in there. But you, you get this big truck, and a lot of those big trucks have a governor device on them to keep amateurs like me from killing myself when I'm moving across country, thinking I can go to the West Virginia mountains at 75 miles per hour. It, it slows you down. And the peace of God is like that. It's this governor, it's this control device, it's this thing that says, no, slow it down. The peace of God is also like a governor position, a ruler, an umpire. What does an umpire do? An umpire is the guy who stands on the t-ball field when your little leaguer is playing t-ball and he hits the ball and he starts running to third base instead of first base. The umpire says, no, no, wrong way, wrong way, run towards first. When he runs past first into the field, it's the umpire that says, go the opposite direction. The umpire keeps it calm. It, it, it keeps the order of the game. It calls foul. It calls out. It calls safe. And the peace of God will tell you, it's not safe or it is safe. The peace of God will tell you, it's out of bounds. Don't touch it. Leave it alone. The peace of God tells you when you're walking on a trail and you come across that, that frog there and you, it's beautiful and it's red and, and you want to touch it or maybe you're hungry and so you want to boil it and eat it if you're out there on a survivalist trip. And the red tells you, I don't know where I come up with this stuff, it's not in the notes, I, I need to stick with the notes I suppose, but the red frog says, don't eat me, I'm deadly. It's red. It's the general principle that we learn to not do anything that we're anxious over or that grieves our hearts. If you're anxious and it grieves you, generally you stop and you pause. So the peace of God governs us. Out of bounds. It's out of your game. It's not in the ballpark. It's out of play. That's not for you. Number three, so the peace of God guides us, the peace of God governs us, and the peace of God guards us. So we're listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. We're getting confirmation from the scripture. We're seeking out godly counsel. We're looking at the circumstances, and now we follow peace. And so here is how the peace of God guards us. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, it says, don't worry about anything. What about the water bill? Don't worry about it. What about the job? Don't worry about it. What about my kids getting chicken pox? Don't worry about them getting chicken pox. Have they got it yet? No. Don't worry about it. When it happens, it happens. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about 
everything. Prayer is the cure for worry. Prayer is the cure for anxiety. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. What things? Everything. That thing? That thing. What about that thing? Everything. Is this thing too small? Everything. Is that thing too big? Everything. What about that thing over there? Pray about it. What about her? Pray about it. What about him? Pray about her. What about my team? Pray about him. What about the job change? Pray about it. What about moving houses? Pray about it. Pray about everything and tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. I find one of the biggest cures of my life to anxiousness is when I stop and I thank him. God, thank you. Because it reminds me how faithful he's been. It reminds me how good he's been. It reminds me how wonderful he has been in my life. Thank him for all he's done. Then look what happens here. Then, next verse, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything, anything, anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. What guards my mind from anxiety? His peace. What allows me to lay down and sleep at night? His peace. When I get anxious, I pray, Father, I give it to you. When I get anxious, I pray, Lord, thank you. And I start thanking him for all the blessings in my life and the things he's done in my life. And I recall to mind the times he's come through in my life and a peace comes. And all of a sudden, the problem seems so small. And it may not always work out the way I want it to work out, but there's a sense of peace. God, you're with me. God, you're for me. God, you're not against me. God, you're on my side. And when he says no, I trust him because you're on my side, God. You've been good to me. And then we will know and we'll experience this peace. What? When we don't worry and instead we pray and we thank Him for everything and we tell Him what we need. I can worry about things that I can't fix. In fact, typically, we worry about the stuff that we have no control over. That's why we worry about it. Because I can't fix it, I worry about it because it's outside of my control. It's out of my pay grade. It's out from under my authority. If I can fix it, I'm going to fix it. But when you're hit with something you can't fix, you have two choices. You worry about it, you fret over it, you cry over it, and you just, you know, just kind of pace and choke your, your, your creativity over it through anxiety, or you bring it to God in prayer. And so when we bring it to God in prayer, He begins to guard our minds. Second thing is, He guards our hearts. He guards that emotional part of it. Guys, I don't want to be stereotypical, but oftentimes... Uh, we can be unemotional about things. I'm not saying that guys are unemotional. That, that is totally untrue. And I'm not saying all the women are emotional, not logical. Completely true, complete false stereotypes. But our culture tries to push us in this way to say, guys, you're unemotional. You're just, you're, you're just mental. And ladies, you're always emotional and you're just not logical. Untrue. Some of the most logical people I've met have been women, and some of the most emotional men I've met and people I've met have been men. But here's the point. Whether you're emotional or logical or both or half and half or you're perfectly, you know, inclined to have a perfect balance of both, you're Jesus Christ. <laughs> and you're perfect. Here's what happens. 
His peace guards that emotional component. He guards you from overthinking it. And it guards you from just being erratic and, and just being spont too overly spontaneous. It guards our heart. Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says, You, O Lord, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. I want to give you two quick principles to follow when it comes to peace. Number one, do not violate the peace of God. Do not violate the red light. Do not violate. Stop. Hit the pause. Hit the pause button. Buffer for a moment. Wait for the download. What are you doing? I'm buffering. I'm waiting. One of my favorite stories is a story of Samuel and Saul in the Bible. And I think in your notes, there's a short verse there. We have the longer version up here. Listen to this. Samuel was, was the prophet in Israel. Saul was the first human king of Israel. And they had been attacked by this outside force. And now that Saul is the king, he wants to overthrow the Philistine armies. And so what's happening is they have about 3,000 people and they only have two swords. Could you imagine Jamie having an army with only two swords? And the other army are these steel and iron workers and they have tens of thousands of people and you have 3,000 people with two swords and you're about to go fight them and overthrow their rule and you talk to God's man and God's man says, wait seven days, don't do anything. And so while you're waiting for seven days, I can't even wait at Walmart for 15 minutes. I get agitated in the, in the fast food driveway when I have to wait more than two minutes. Are you with me? And so you're sitting there and you're waiting. He said, wait seven days. And while they're waiting seven days, Saul's people start leaving and more enemy people start gathering together. The King James Version says they start mustering. They start gathering. And people start talking and people start thinking, well, king, you're not a very good king. Man, you're not being very quick thinking here. You're not planning your calendar out a year in advance right now. Why are you moving so slow? Because God said, wait seven days. And the people start becoming afraid. And here's what happens. Samuel says, wait seven days. I will come, I'll bring a sacrifice, I will offer it to our God, I will ask him for his blessing and ask for his direction, but do not do anything for seven days. And this is where our story picks up. Saul gets impatient. Saul gets worried about waiting, and what does he do? He steps out, he does a good thing in the wrong way. You ever done that? And he makes a sacrifice that he wasn't supposed to sacrifice because he was not the prophet in Israel. He was the king. He stepped out of his bounds. He stepped out of his authority. He stepped past God's way of doing things. And God has an order. And God has a way. And God has a direction. And he stepped out of that. And he did a good thing at the wrong time being the wrong person. And here's what happens. The prophet Samuel says, What have you done? 
takes me back to my childhood right there. Boy, what have you done? Nothing. Who did it? I don't know. What have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattering from me, and when I saw that you did not come within the days appointed, you were slow in coming, God, and the Philistines had gathered, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. And I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So catch these words, underline them. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And the prophet of God's response was, go back and read the story later on, you have lost the kingdom. God would have established the kingdom under you, but you have now lost it because you haven't obeyed his voice. And the prophet told him, because God wants a king after his own heart. That's a whole different sermon I won't chase down. I want you to focus on the part. I forced myself. Two years into his reign, God gave direction, wait seven days. On the seventh day, the prophet didn't come at the right time. But as soon as Saul made the sacrifice, the Bible says God's man showed up. Have you ever done that? Have you ever prayed for something, prayed for something, prayed for something, and God said, wait, 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 and you wait, and you get tired of waiting, and you do what you're going to do, and then he shows up and does what he told you he was going to do? And now you've made a mess out of things? I look back at the story of Abraham. God told Abraham, I'm going to make nations come out of you, and I'm going to bless the nations through you. And you're an old dude, and your wife is old. and old. She was, I mean, in her 70s, and the kings wanted to date her. Listen, that was some good oil of Olay right there. She was a good-looking woman right there. Am I right? And they wanted to, to be with her. And she couldn't have children. And God said, I'm going to give you children. And she says, oh, you think I'm going to have a fun time? Go back and read it. You think I'm going to have pleasure with my husband? You're kidding me, God. I'm too old for that. You got quiet. <laughs> I am going to say it, and the Lord's going to get me later. This was before Viagra. This was when the Lord <laughs> stepped in and helped. We dismiss your kids for a reason, right? All right. For everyone I offended, I am at least partially sorry for that. At least partially. And so here's what happens. God said, I'm going to give you kids. What happens? They go out, do their own thing, and they have Ishmael. And to this day, most of the problems we're having in the Middle East are because of Ishmael's descendants. Did God forgive Abraham? Yes, he did. Absolutely, he forgave Abraham. But Abraham had to change a few dirty diapers for a few years. Am I right? And sometimes we'll make a mistake and we will force ourselves to do something knowing that God hasn't told And we force ourselves and we make a mess and God forgives and God is gracious. But there are consequences to that and we may have to change a few dirty diapers for a while. And God will ultimately take the curse of it and make a blessing out of it and he'll make something good out of it. Do you know how many teenage moms and dads have told me, 
I did not intend to get pregnant. It wasn't what I was trying to do. We were trying to avoid it. But now that little guy is the blessing and the joy of my life. God can take things out of our timing. So if you miss God's timing or you've made, quote unquote, a mistake, and I'm not calling a child a mistake, do not hear that. But if you have, use it as a metaphor, if you have made a mistake, somehow in God's time, God takes it when we give it to him and he begins to work it around. So there's hope even when you make the bad decision. But I'm talking to you guys right now that haven't made the bad choice. You're right there right now and you're at the crossroads and you're making the choice. Don't violate the, the, the peace. Do not force it. He says, no, wait, don't violate what God said. He knew what God said. He had the word of God. He had the godly counsel. He heard the voice. And he allowed the circumstances now to dictate the peace and override everything else. Do you see how it starts working together? And he lost the kingdom. Romans 14 and 17, 14, 17 says this, the kingdom of God, the king's dominion, the king's order, the king's way of doing things, the king's authority, the king's place of command, his, his territory. I like it better to say this, the king's way of doing things is righteousness, Peace and joy. Have you ever faced choices in life where you violated the peace of God and you lost righteousness in your life? Where you've lost peace in your life? Where you've lost joy in your life? God's way of doing things is to bring righteousness into your life is to bring peace into your life and bring joy into your life. Can I be very blunt here for just a moment? I don't serve Jesus Christ because I am afraid of him getting me. I don't serve the Father because I'm afraid of eternal flames. If that's why you're serving God, wow, th that might be a kindergarten entry point. But guys, I serve him because he's good, because he loves me, because he is for me. I serve him because in his kingdom, there is a right way of doing things. And it's righteousness, it's good, it's holy, it's pure. I serve him because there's peace in my life. And I serve him because he's brought joy. I wasn't baptized in pickle juice or lemon water. It has been a joyous thing. Has it been difficult at times? Yes. Has it been hard at times? Absolutely. Has he told me no? Yes. Or have I gone through a persecution? Yes. Or has he not done it the way I've wanted to? Yeah. But his kingdom, there's righteousness. There's joy in the Holy Spirit. Do not violate peace. And very close, number two, wait for the peace of God. 
I want to give you a really recent illustration that happened in the life of this church, uh, in my life, as we were starting Exalt Church. And is Tommy Siegel in the building? Tommy can attest to this. We were this close to pulling the trigger when we were starting Exalt Church to buy a trailer. I was at the trailer spot. I was going to buy the trailer. And, you know, we load all this stuff up and we come here week after week after week. And so I called Tommy. He said, man, I'm here. We're pulling the trigger. We're going to buy the trailer. And Tommy is the quickest he's ever called me. He calls me up. He goes, don't, don't buy it. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. What's going on? He said, the favorite words I wanted to hear, my truck won't pull it. And I thought, it better pull it. And he said, we're going to have to use your truck. I said, there's no way I'm using my truck. We're using your truck. Well, we did the math on it. My truck wouldn't pull it. His truck wouldn't pull it. We sought godly counsel. They said, you better not pull it with that. And so we got to praying, got to talking about it, and said, what are we going to do? So we decided at that moment, after praying about it, seeking the Lord and seeking counsel and other church planners and everything, we decided we would buy a cargo truck. But if you know how Tommy and I roll, we want the best at a great deal. That's how we want it. And listen, if, if I'm tight with my money, I'm going to be really tight with the Lord's money. You know what I mean? If, I mean? It's all his, actually. But Tommy found this guy who was selling this cargo truck. He said, it's clean, it's wonderful, it's great. So let's go check it out. So on one hot July day, we drive out to the oceanfront, and we meet a guy from Nigeria. And he had the most beautiful truck we'd seen. Is that right, Tommy? It was clean. It was beautiful. And it was at the right price. It was about three grand less, I think, is that right, Tommy? Less than, right around there, less than anyone else had. And Tommy got in the truck. It sounded good. Now, we had gone to the used truck lots of U-Haul, and everything was drunk. The chairs were ripped. The air conditioning didn't work. It would have a tap, 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 tap in it. And I'm saying, this is going to be great launch Sunday. We're going to take that tap, 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 U-Haul, and we're going to be broke down on Volvo Parkway, and we're going to be having 150, 200 people here, and we're going to be out there, sitting there, putting our thumbs on Volvo Parkway. But this truck was perfect. Perfect price. And we start talking to the guy. And the more we talk to the guy, here's what he said. Oh, you're a church? I'm a pastor. Really? Yes, I'm a student at Regent. Who's your favorite professor? I don't know. When do you go? Well, just here and there. We start asking, and it didn't, it didn't start it didn't start lining up. And so we wanted the truck. It was the right price. It was clean. And Tommy and I are going back and forth, and now the pressure is on that we've got to get it down because the launch is coming. And we've got to get it solved. We've got to solve the problem. We're going to launch a church. And here's a guy saying he's a missionary. Here's a guy saying he's a Christian. Here's a guy saying he has the right truck. He has it at the right price. And Tommy and I said, time out. We don't do anything within a 24-hour period. And we went over to Starbucks, and we had a cup of coffee, and we sat there, thank you. 
as we sat there, Tommy and I started talking, and I remember saying to Tommy, I don't have peace. And I don't want to misquote Tommy, but like Tommy looked at me and said, then we can't do this. I said, I don't feel peace. He goes, if you don't feel peace, we can't do it. During our conversation, the gentleman gave us a piece of information. And if you've ever put Tommy on something, Tommy is like a pit bull with a bone. He is going to chase it down. I thought I had great energy until I hung out with Tommy Siegel, and now I realize I have no energy whatsoever. It wear me out. Within a half hour, we had found out that the man did not own the truck. That the title was held in West Virginia, and the guy who owned the truck in West Virginia wasn't going to release the truck until he paid it off, and he was behind in payments and hadn't paid the guy. True story, Tommy, right? And he calls Tommy and says, I will hold it for you for $1,000. And we felt the pressure. Let's just hold it. And we did it. Here's the point. I cannot tell you how much pressure we began to feel when we had the right truck at the right place here locally, knowing we're about to start a church and we don't have the equipment to get the stuff there and the pressure's coming in and it's right at the right price. You know what God did? The man that owned the truck had 15 other trucks just like it. And we drove to West Virginia because the Lord made us go to West Virginia. <laughs> Only the Lord will take you to West Virginia. Don't write me emails. I've already said two zingers, I know. I love West Virginia. It's the prettiest state in the Union, minus about 10 others. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> And we went there, and we got the right truck at the right price, and God blessed us. Wait. Wait. There was no place in Scripture that said, don't buy that GMC. There was no place in Scripture that said, don't trust this man. And when that red light went off, and my godly counsel's red light went off, and the scripture came, he that believes does not make haste. That red light went off. And knowing the Holy Spirit's voice, wait, we waited. Two quick enemies of peace, write them down so you don't feel like we didn't get you through the message and go back and look at it later. Two enemies of peace is strife and distractions. Um, whenever you're distracted, guys, let me hit this, I'm going to wind it down. We live in such a distracted time that it makes it so hard to hear from God. Shut the TV off. Shut down the social media. Close down Facebook. Put the distractions out. If you need an answer, shut the stuff out sometimes. A lot of that stuff will make you edgy. And does it have its place? Absolutely. Can it be fun? Yes. But there's times you've got to just shut it out and have some quiet and wait, and listen, and close the distractions. Now listen, the best decision that you can make today or any day is this. It's to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible says, and he said, I am the way, 
I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He says, I am the way to God. And he says, listen to you. I so love the world. Let me show you how I love the world. I gave my son and he came and he died upon the cross paying a penalty that I could not pay but should have paid. Dying upon the cross in my place, taking God's judgment and God's anger and God's punishment and discipline upon himself. Dying in my place. And now I trust in, believe in him that he took my place. And because he paid the price, I believe in God's grace and mercy to me, and I freely receive what Jesus Christ had paid for. How do you do that? Pray a simple prayer with your words from your heart. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. Jesus, become the Savior of my life. I believe you died and rose from the dead. I trust in you. I call upon you. Amen. Stand with me. No one moving, no one running around yet. I'm going to lead you in that prayer right now. And if you pray the prayer, you've made a recommitment to Jesus Christ today, or it's the first time, and you, I want to believe in him, please, on that card, let us know. I want to send you a few emails helping you in your new walk. Will you pray with me? And believers, if you're here and you're a believer, pray with me as well to help those others praying for the first time. Say, Jesus, I call upon you. I believe upon you. Be the Savior of my life. Take away my sin. I receive you as the one who paid the price that I could not pay. I believe that you died. And I believe God raised you from the dead. I want to be a Christ follower. I give you my life. Amen and amen. That's the best decision you can ever make. If you did it today, please check your card. God bless you guys. Laura, as you come, give Laura a hand as she comes. Will you do that? Amen.